Hi, welcome to Skip's Corner, where I cover Nashville's baseball history and events and introduce you to players, coaches, and other fans. Nashville has always been a baseball hotbed. Of course, we hear a lot about the Titans and the Predators, and we're going to hear more as we go along about the Nashville Stars initiative to bring Major League Baseball to Nashville. And of course, the Nashville Sounds are very successful. And just from knowing what I know and hearing what I hear from former players through the Old Timers Baseball Association, through uh, phone calls and emails, how important amateur baseball was to so many people. And so many people remember their games and they remember the leagues they played in and the teammates and their foes against other teams. There are so many ballparks, as I said in my last episode, that are no longer around, but Shelby number one, now we have Shelby number two, and Old Centennial Park ballpark is gone, and Morgan Park, so many places where teams could play, and that's not the case anymore. But I want to go back, since last episode, I talked about the 1963 Tri-State League, which was an outstanding season for many, many players. Concurrently was the 1963 City League. Now, the City League has its beginnings in the earliest part of the 20th century, although the format changed from time to time, and there were other leagues also, the Industrial League and the Commercial League and the Volunteer League and the Old Timers League back in the 20s and 30s. In 1963, the City League was still around, and it just felt like it was, if I've talked about the Tri-State League's 1963 season, well, I just had to talk about the City League's 1963 season. And it all started when an organizational meeting for teams interested in building a team was announced for January the 10th and was to be held at Nashville Sporting Goods. Prospective members who could not send a representative to that meeting were to call the new league president, Simon Dickerson. And he said in the newspaper he expected the league to field eight teams. And at that meeting, teams and their representatives who attended were Russ Wingo from Falstaff, Ken Dugan for Hester Battery, Vester Simpson for Teamsters, Jack Stevenson for Nolensville and College Grove combined team, the Columbia Blue Sox by Ben Allen, Nashville Sporting Goods by W.P. Williams, the Wrigley Charquettes, represented by John Crow, Lloyd Eskew, represented Radnor Plumbing, and the Franklin Merchants were represented by R.L. Williams. And then there was the Clarksville Patriots team. There was no representative reporting, and it was possible that Lipscomb College would produce a team. The next day, Dickerson told local sports writers he had enough interest for the league to consist of at least 10 teams and possibly 11. It was good news for the teams who had struggled for five years with between five and seven teams. Opening day was tentatively set for May the 5th, and depending on the number of teams to be finalized, the schedule would be either 28 or 36 games. Now, a few days later at the Nashville Old Timers Baseball Association banquet held on January the 28th, Bob Schultz, former Major League pitcher with the Cubs and Pirates and a former Nashville Vols pitcher, was named 1962 City League MVP. Schultz, who edged Don Fortner of defending league champion Nashville Sporting Goods by a 4-3 vote among the seven league managers from the previous season, pitched for Dickerson's Falstaff Club. When the final preseason league meeting took place on April the 1st, Dickerson was pleased to announce that eight teams had been finalized for the season, and more importantly, all entry fees had been paid. 
He was quoted as saying, we've got a mixture of veteran teams along with some who'll be predominantly composed of college boys, he told Nashville Banner sports writer Edgar Allen. It should be a fine race. There were going to be five new managers, with the only returnees being Pop Williams of Franklin, Perk Williams of Nashville Sporting Goods, and Lloyd Eskew of Radnor Plumbing. Dickerson had retired from Falstaff and was replaced by Bobby Reasonover. And other newcomers were Earl Allen of Hester Battery, Boyd Gilliam of Columbia Blue Sox, a new entry, Vester Simpson of Teamsters, another new team, and Wrigley, which had yet named a manager. Now, these team managers began running notices in the newspapers when tryouts and practices would be held. One game was scheduled to open the season, pitting defending champion Nashville Sporting Goods against Radnor Plumbing on Sunday, May the 5th, at Centennial Number 1 at 3 o'clock, and Don Fortner was to face Radnor's Russ Wingo. Nashville Sporting Goods replaced Corky Hartman from the 1962 club with Billy Isaacs in center field, and they didn't bring back Pete Charton, who had gone pro. Otherwise, the rest of the roster was intact. And after opening ceremonies that May the 5th, featuring Mayor Beverly Briley, Finance Director Burt Elmore, and ex-City League President A.B. Treetop Hill participating, Fortner tossed a five-hitter in striking out 11, walking three, in a 5-1 win over Radner. And recently deceased Charlie Fentrist led a 13-hit barrage with three singles. The rest of the league would play openers on Monday as Falstaff opened against Columbia at Centennial and Teamsters met Hester at Shelby Number 1. And Wrigley and Franklin were set to open on Tuesday night at Centennial. Bob Schultz allowed four hits and no earned runs as Falstaff won over Columbia 10-2. Irvin Tussie won by allowing only two runs and Teamsters win over Hester Battery 12-2, while Franklin topped Wrigley the next night by a score of 13-6. And when June 1 rolled around, Nashville Sporting Goods sat atop the competitive league's standings with a 6-2 record, with Teamsters, Radner, and Falstaff all one half game behind at 5-2. Hester was 3-3, Columbia was 2-4, while Wrigley and Franklin were at the bottom with one win each. In his June the 9th Sandlots column in the Nashville Tennessean, Jimmy Davey wrote that while City League statistics were not complete, certainly Wrigley's first baseman, John Crow, had to be close to the top in batting with a 600 average on 18 hits and 30 at-bats. And Radner's Ralph Blinn, also a first baseman, was 17 for 32 for a 531 average. And in the pitching department, Schultz was 3-0, but get this, he'd allowed no earned runs in 27 innings, while Don Fortner had a 1.25 ER and a 3-1 record. Other stars in early June games were Terry Geske and Billy Isaacs for Nashville Sporting Goods, Buddy Martin, Carl Childress, and Lum Warren for Wrigley, Sammy Kerr, Dick Costco, Al Wojtek, Deanie McKinnon, Bobby Reasonover, Ken Davidson and Burns Boner for Falstaff, Bobby Holt for Franklin, Russ Wingo, Jimmy Miller, Billy Farrar, Jackie Chaffin, and David Jessup for Radner, and Glenn Elder for Teamsters. Now, a few weeks later at Speedy's Grill, league managers met to select an all-star team, and it was by secret ballot. 
They scheduled a game for the All-Stars to play the team that was in first place when the first half ended. They scheduled it for June the 30th at 3 p.m. at Centennial. And it would take a makeup game from a rainout between National Sporting Goods and Falstaff scheduled for Sunday, June the 23rd to determine the first half championship and the right to face the All-Stars. Now, chosen as All-Stars, Radner Plumbing landed four, second baseman Ralph Blinn, catcher Jimmy Miller, outfielder Billy Farrar, and pitcher Russ Wingo. National Sporting Goods had three, catcher Bill Smith, outfielder Billy Isaacs, and pitcher Don Fortner. Wrigley had one, John Crow, leading the league at that time with a 575 average as the first baseman. Falstaff would provide manager Bobby Reason over as the manager of the All-Stars, and he would also play shortstop. And then, of course, pitcher Bob Schultz. Hester Battery landed third baseman Bobby Fisher, outfielder Jerry Shuford, and utility man Earl Allen, while Columbia Blue Sox offered utility man Boyd Gillum and the Teamsters pitcher Billy Dale and Franklin outfielder Paul Davis. The National Sporting Goods won that game on June the 23rd by a score of 3-1 to cop the first half with a 12-2 record, followed by Falstaff at 10-3. The All-Star game was played at Sulphurdale. It was a doubleheader because the Tri-State League had their All-Star game first, and then the City League had theirs next, and National Sporting Goods won 9-1. With two out in the first, five straight singles off of Bob Schultz gave them a 4-0 lead, and the All-Stars were not able to catch up. Jerry Vradenberg had three hits and won the Most Valuable Player Award, and Earl Allen had a long single off the right center field signs to drive in his team's lone run. Joe Hubble of Falstaff won the foot race preceding the game, edging Nashville Sporting Goods' Boots Kirby at the finish line, and Ralph Blinn edged Hester Battery's Bob Fisher for outfield accuracy throwing honors. During July, rain plagued the City League schedule as exactly 28 games were postponed between July the 2nd and July the 20th. And on August the 6th and the end of the season nearing, Radnor Plumbing was in first place of the second half with a 10-1 record and National Sporting Goods on their heels at 9-1. And Radnor moved closer to guaranteeing a two-way tie for the second half championship when Columbia forfeit a game on August the 9th. But when both clubs finished the second half with identical 3-1 records, a playoff was scheduled. Should Radner have won, a best-of-three series for the season pennant would be scheduled. But Nashville won 2-0 behind Don Fortner's three-hitter. And by the way, he struck out eight. Jesse Kabler hit a home run, and Jerry Vradenberg and Charlie Fentress both had hits. At the end of the season, the AABC playoffs began with Ray Bats from the Tri-State League to face Radner and National Sporting Goods facing Mayo's Sausage. So that's the end of the 1963 season, just prior to the ABC playoffs. And I'm going to save those details for another episode. As always, thanks for listening in. If you have an opportunity to go on Sunday, January the 15th, the National Old Timers Baseball Association will be holding their 85th annual banquet at the Senesta Hotel at the airport. It's the former Marriott. You can buy tickets at otbaseball.com, or you can come to the front table there. We'll be able to sign you up and get your tickets for you. It's always a great event. 85 consecutive banquets is a pretty good record. And in closing, I just want to say how much I want to honor those who played in the City League and the Tri-State League. I always looked up to you guys, as any baseball lover would, as a youngster in the Nashville Sandlots myself. 
with my family's love for baseball, my brother, my dad, even mom, and so many others. We call it a great game for the family, and it certainly is whether you're playing or whether you're watching. And I hope that you find this uh, adequate honor for your dads and your grandfathers, your uncles, who played the game in the tri-state and city leagues. If you'd like to know more, if you'd like to send me some updates that you have, maybe something I misquoted. I was looking for batting averages and pitching performance records for the City League, but I couldn't find anything that was published for the end of the season. So if you have something like that, I'd certainly like to know it too. And until next time, thank you for listening in.